Well, hello, CMYK community and beyond. Uh, I'm so glad that you're choosing to listen in uh, for the next few minutes on this thing known as the CMYK Talk podcast. My name's Matt, and uh, this week is a continuation of a series of talks that we launched into last week uh, that we're simply titling The Bible and Sexuality. And I just need to say, before we jump into it, if for whatever reason you haven't listened to last week's talk or the previous episode, first talk in this series, uh, I would highly, highly recommend that you go listen to that. Uh, Obviously, there's no way that we can check that, and you are more than welcome to just keep on listening if for whatever reason you want to do that, but we kind of set some ground rules for what this series is about and what it's not about, uh, that I really don't have a ton of time to just jump into and, and go through that every single week. So it's kind of important. This is a broader series and a broader concept and topic that we're trying to tackle together rather than just zero in on one or two little things, you know, shake our hands, dust our feet, whatever, and say we're done, uh, but to really spend some time talking about some broader concepts. And today is probably as broad as we're going to go, <laughs> which is I'm really, really excited about. But before we jump into it, I need to just quickly say thank you. Thank you uh, to so many of you who have reached out in this past week, uh, whether it's through text or a call or have just kind of seen me, um, just uh, for saying your very kind, gracious words about this series and about the approach that we're taking with this series. We know that this topic of sexuality and the Bible, it matters, and we know that this is something that we're all wrestling with. So to know that this is helpful, it just means the world. To those of you that are choosing to share and talk about this series and our work as the CMYK community with others, uh, it just means the world to us. That's one of the highest compliments that we could get when you choose to say, hey, this work that CMYK is doing, it, it matters not just to me. But I think it could matter to other people as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you to those of you uh, that are choosing to just be so kind and generous about where we are and what we're doing, particularly on a topic that can be really divisive. <laughs> that many of you are choosing to say, "Hey, let's let's jump into this together and let's figure it out in a in a beautiful way." So thank you. All right. So today uh, we're talking about this concept of God. A theology of God is what I've decided to title this talk. And for some of you, you're like, hey, wait a minute, Matt. Uh, I thought we were talking about the Bible, and I thought we were talking about sexuality, and now you're saying we're talking about a theology of God? How does that work? Well, here's where I want to go and why I think this is important. How you choose to view the divine or God, or maybe how you choose to view uh, the lack of a divine or a divine or God, it dramatically influences how you see yourself how you choose to interact in the world around you, and that influences this topic of sexuality. And so for me, when we kind of came out of the gates last week and we talked about that for me, where I'm at, that I believe the scriptures invite us to fully affirm and embrace our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, and that this is a healthy and important approach to our spirituality and life, for me, part of that is understanding, okay, when I talk about spirituality and life, what am I talking about? And what is that interaction between those two things? And why does this statement make sense when I'm interacting with those things? And so we got to talk about God. We got to talk about this theology of what and who God is, which again, I just got to say, as I, I kind of I hinted at last week with the ground rules, I'm not going to go through all of them again, but there are 
so many smarter people about this topic and concept. There are so many degrees out there that have been handed out, and and I didn't receive very many of them. So I am not here as the expert beyond all experts, but what I am here as, as an authentic representation of myself that has wrestled and struggled with this thing for years, and I want to do my best to communicate where I currently am with this concept of God. So if there's anything that intrigues you, I'm going to be referencing a lot of different really smart thinkers and theologians, philosophers, Man, go read some of their stuff if there's anything that's intriguing or challenging to you. So, historically, when we talk about this idea and concept of God or the divine, for many, God is this picture of that we hold onto as an old man in the sky. And for me, uh, that's what God was for many, many years, even into some theological training and understanding that would speak otherwise, the way that I chose to relate to and interact with God, again, I'm using air quotes, was with this picture of some creature being man thing that's out there somewhere. And this God has all the power. In other words, he can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. This God holds the keys to happiness for my life. In other words, he sets the rules for how things are going to go. And for me to step outside of those rules means things are going to go bad. For me to stay in those rules means things are going to go well. And he's the one that determines where I'm going to go when I die. He influences my eternal resting place. So everything, if this is who God is, he's this other creature out there, this thing, if that's who God is, has all the power, holds the keys to happiness, determines where I go when I die, then everything is about pleasing this God, not stepping out of line, making sure that his power is used on my behalf and my way, making sure that the keys to happiness are being found and that I'm staying within the rules, and making sure that I get to go to the right place where I want to go when I die. And historically, when we look at humanity, when we look at the way that we Uh, as a species, have chosen to interact and talk about anything within the divine, whether it's our God or whether it's Greek gods or different cultures and these kinds of things. This is traditionally how God can be approached, this other creature being out there. And what we see even today, what I would call traditional Christianity, is a lot of language and interaction with this God that's out there and our prayers or our songs, our thoughts and ideas are about trying to get God to come here, to show up because he's got all the power. So move and change and fix this and that. And as we continue to kind of wrestle with this concept and idea, there's a reality that starts to set in, particularly when it comes to moments of pain or suffering. Because if God is all powerful, in these moments of pain and suffering, it feels like we're playing by the rules and we're doing what we should be doing, but yet there's still this pain and suffering present and it feels like God is nowhere to be found. So historically, you look at something like World War II, and this was a big you know, beginning of a shift for humanity in a lot of ways, where you have millions and millions of people that are being slaughtered in concentration camps. The people of God, the Jewish people. And what we find and what we see is that God... Even though he has all the power, even though he could have changed things in an instant because he's this being that's out there, why would he not show up and just fix that, change that, not see or allow that to happen? And so even for you, potentially in moments of suffering and pain, 
when you have that phone call or something happens or you have that visit at the doctor or or, uh, that relationship goes south, something takes place that causes immense pain and hurt. There can be so many questions of like, God, where, where are you? Where are you? I'm doing all the things that I know to do. I'm doing all the things that I was told I should be doing. I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. I'm all of these things. But it seems like God is not found and he's not pulling the strings that he should be pulling if he is all powerful. And it leaves us in this place of great questioning and doubt and frustration. But on top of that, on top of just wrestling with the the concept of suffering and this idea of a God who's this man in the sky, if you will, we have this awakening of our own humanity. We're continually growing and progressing and evolving and learning about ourselves and the way our brains and minds work. And we're willing to ask questions and point at things that maybe potentially, historically, we haven't been willing to go down these paths. And it's because of our progression as humanity that we're starting to have some of these conversations on a greater level. So you take the thinking and the writing of this theologian and this this deep thinker, John A.T. Robinson, uh, in the mid-20th century, and he writes this book entitled Honest to God, which, man, you, you got to check out. It's so, so good. But he starts to wrestle with this concept of what's known as the three-tiered view of the world. In other words, this is a, a view of things that many of us have grown up within. This is a view of things that a lot of scripture actually speaks to and talks about, and a lot of history uh, in humanity speaks to about how the world works. It's a three-tiered view. In other words, there's the heavens up above, and that's where God is and where we find him, and then there's earth here in the middle, and then down below you find this thing known as hell. Well, this thing happened within humanity. We started building telescopes. And so all of a sudden, we start looking up into the sky, and we start discovering what's out there, and it felt like, and seems, no matter how big a telescope we build, no matter where we look, we can't seem to find this God, this other presence and being an entity that's out there. On top of that, when we look at chemistry and physics and trying to understand just the makeup of the world around us, we can never seem to find this thing out there called God, this separate presence and being. And then as many of us know, we have this understanding now as humanity that you don't dig a big enough hole and go down deep enough and then you find hell. This three-tiered view of the world starts to break down. So if God is not this thing that's out there somewhere, somehow, then what is this God? And then you take writings of uh, someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a a German pastor, theologian, uh, incredible thinker, that actually died in a German camp during World War II, German prison during World War II. And this man is really wrestling with this new idea of what is God in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering and trying to figure it all out, and in the midst of an awakening humanity that sees, okay, this three-tiered view of the world doesn't seem to work anymore, so what is this? We find his writings in the prison letters where he says things like this. He says, what is bothering me incessantly is the question what Christianity really is, or indeed who Christ really is for us today says, the time when people could be told everything by means of words, whether theological or pious, is over, and so is the time of inwardness and conscience. And that means the time of religion in general. We are moving towards a completely religionless time. People as they are now simply cannot be religious anymore. What's he saying there? He's saying there used to be a time in our history when we were simply handed words and a narrative about this is how the world works, this is who God is, this is how things are supposed to be. And that time seems to be coming to an end. 
because we're questioning things. We're poking the box. And where we once told the world worked in a certain way, we're starting to look into the heavens, look below and see the earth around us and go, I don't think the world actually works that way. So what is God? If it's not, if he or it is not this presence that's out there, what are we supposed to talk about or what are we supposed to point towards when we talk about or think about God? Now, again, there's been so much great thought and scholarship around this concept and so many passages of scripture that I think that point towards towards something different and something good. But for me, I want to focus on this moment that's found in the book of Acts chapter 17. It's this moment where a leader within this new movement of Christ followers, this church, this guy named Paul, is going around the region and talking and speaking about this new way of life, living with Christ and what that looks like. And as Paul is traveling around, he finds himself in the city of Athens. And as he's walking around the city of Athens, he begins dialoguing with certain people that leads him into the courts of the philosophers, the deep thinkers of the region and of the days, these Greek thinkers. And it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of Ergopaeus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Paul's having this conversation, and he talks about touring the city and seeing all of these different statues and temples, things that are erected in a certain way to showcase their belief in this kind of God, whether it's God of love, God of this, God of that, God of that, Greek mythology and understanding many of us have interacted with on some level. But Paul says, you're doing something really interesting because there's this statue over here that says to an unknown God. In other words, the Greeks are basically covering their bases. Just in case this God that we didn't know about shows up, we can say like, see, we we had it all along. (laughs) It was right there. You were right there. The God of cheese, you exist and you're here. See, we, we, we knew that you were a thing. And Paul's saying, yeah, you have missed something. And then he goes on to talk about God and what is God in such a way that I find so beautiful. He says, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He's not found in a specific place or time, Paul says. Nor is this God served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And then he says this statement that I think is so good. He says, yet actually, this God is not far from each of us. You're seeking this divine presence out there somewhere. You have all of these different temples and shrines and all these different actions that you're trying to relate to and interact with this God on a certain level. And Paul says, this God has not been far off at all. This God is present. And then he says and uses this line that's actually from a Greek philosopher. It's not from Jewish thought. It's from Greek philosophy. And he says, for in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets, Paul says, and he references this Greek poet, for we are indeed his, we are indeed God's offspring. Paul is referencing not a God that's out there somewhere. Paul is speaking to something that is not far off, that is present, that is here, that is now. And then what he does is this interesting turn of language. What many of us have grown up with, myself particularly, is this idea of a God who's out there somewhere 
and that we have a God-shaped hole in our lives, or you have a Jesus-shaped hole in your heart. Maybe you've heard this before. And that the work of a Christian is to try and pray or do certain things to find Jesus present in your life, that Jesus is now in me, dwelling, existing, living in me. So we are trying to get Christ in us, God in us. But Paul, I don't know if you noticed it, he does something really interesting with the language here. In quoting this Greek philosopher, he says, this God that's not very far off, that's present here and now, we are invited to be in God, in him. It's in that state, in that place when we are in God that we live and move and we have our being. That there's something here in this moment that we are invited to enter into, and it's in that place and that space that we are invited to interact with God. I find it interesting that so much of the writings of the New Testament, these people that are wrestling with this new concept of God and Christ, they use this language of what it means, and they use this statement over and over and dozens of times throughout the New Testament, we find this statement of that we are invited to be in Christ. There's something here something now in this moment that we are invited to enter into. What is happening here? Again, a lot of thinkers have been trying to process this, but one of them has kind of risen to the surface uh, over the last few years is a theologian from the mid-20th century as well, a philosopher uh, by the name of Paul Tillich. And Paul Tillich and many of his works has come to define and talk about God and what God is as this, that God is the ground of all being. What's Tillich doing with this reference? He's speaking to the same kind of God that Paul in Acts is referencing there, that there is this presence that's not very far off that has given us life and breath and everything. And Paul Tillich says, this is the ground of all being, that there is this undercurrent, this connection, this beauty in existence, and we are invited to see and interact with that. Now, for some of us, this might sound like some crazy out there mumbo jumbo, like, whoa, where are you going, Matt? What is this? But how many of us have experienced something present in a moment that feels like there's, there's a depth, there's a beauty and a significance, a weight, glory to this moment? And it's when we're present that we find it. It's the birth of a child. There's more happening here than just the physical experience of that moment. There's something sacred, holy there. For some of us, it's an intimate moment that we share with a close friend or partner. Something's here. There's something that's so beautiful and good. For others of us, it's seen an act of compassion, grace, peace, lived in significance, that it grabs us, it grips us, and there's something holy and sacred about that. For others of us, it's food, it's wine. There's these moments that it just feels like there's something more here than just this. What is it? There's this undercurrent, the ground of all being. Paul Tillich speaks about it like this. He says, the name of this infinite and inexhaustible depth and ground of all being is God. That depth is what the word God means. And if that word has not much meaning for you, translate it and speak of the depths of your life and the source of your being, of your ultimate concern, of what you take seriously without any reservation. He says, perhaps in order to do so, you must forget everything traditional that you have learned about God, perhaps even the word itself. Tillich, through this statement, is inviting us, his readers, to see there's something here. Don't miss it and don't let language 
or religion get in the way of what it is because we are invited to enter into, to interact with that. It's the same work that Paul is doing in Athens. Don't miss this God. A pastor and writer, Doug Paget, wrote this book entitled Flipped. Again, I would encourage you to check it out if you want to go deeper on this stuff. And Doug Paget says this. He says, God is not a separate subject that we talk about or relate to through belief, behavior, faith, or practice. Much better than that. God is the very existence of all things. And we are called to live congruently within the existence that holds all things together. And this notion resonates with beauty, intrigue, mystery, and majesty. On top of that, you have this rich theology and philosophy around learning to find God and to see God, define God in what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful. That this is our invitation in this moment where you are to work to find the undercurrent, the ground of all being, what's good and true and beautiful. And to sense and to know that it's in that depth and beauty that this is God. Now, what I find really fascinating about all of this stuff is, again, this isn't just kind of some random guy or thought that's out there. But when you actually start to dig into the scriptures as a whole and try to understand what, what are the scriptures talking about when it comes to God, there are all these incredible moments all throughout the scriptures that speak of a God who is present in that moment within that story and inviting, pulling, ushering whoever is in that story into whatever is good and beautiful and true to progress the story into goodness, truth, and beauty. So you have these moments like Genesis chapter one, the creation poem, the creation story is one of God. This darkness is happening and God is hovering over the void. And it's in the midst of that, that he speaks into the darkness and the void and creates the world and the universe. And we find that the world is founded on creativity, love, and joy. And then he invites humanity to bring that same creative force and voice into the world around us. You have moments like Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, the father of the faith being invited into a presence and embrace now. Meanwhile, the rest of the world is living in this sacrificial works-based approach towards these gods that are out there. Abraham's story is one of God saying, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm for you. Simply believe that and see that and set aside these sacrificial works. You see Jacob later on in Genesis. is a guy who's in, time, in a time of great fear and anxiety and is not sure how things are gonna go in front of him. He has this dream, he has this moment of wrestling with the divine and he wakes up and he senses and states this famous line of God was in this place and I did not know it. There was something here and I was not aware or keen to it in the midst of my fear and anxiety. Moses is given the name of God. Many of us have heard the story from Exodus, and God's name is simply this, I am who I am. Or you could translate it, I will be who I will be, God says. Or for many, it's just be or existence. You have the story of the Israelites. As they come out of slavery in Egypt, they're invited into a Sabbath rest to not see themselves as the sum total of their accomplishments, but to be present now in that moment and sense and know that there is this divine presence that loves them, this ground of all being that is there. Don't miss out on that. Or later on in the story of the nation of Israel, 
they are continuing to live around these religious traditions and sacrifices and things, trying to please this God out there. And some of the strongest language we, language we have in all of the text is God coming against them and saying, you're missing the point because there are oppressed, broken, hurting, poor people here. There are orphans and widows here. Take care of them because I'm found here in your midst. And so seek and pursue whatever's good and beautiful and true in this moment. Stop trying to interact with this presence and being out there somewhere. Or you have Jesus challenging his people, his family, to see those on the outside, that the kingdom of God was already in their midst. And rather than building walls, we work to embrace those around us. God is found all throughout scripture inviting people to be present and to deal in the reality and the depth of whatever it is that's there, inviting us forward into what is good and true and beautiful. And many times, um, I think most, you probably have seen this as well, that religion is used rather than to enter into reality, rather than being present with what is and finding the depth, the good, the beautiful, and the true there. Religion is actually used to distract us away from reality and distract us away from what's really happening. So we have these things, these moments like science, where there's these research and studies and understandings about the world or about how things work. And many times what we see that religion does is it is an invitation to deny or to find a way around what we find to be true. Because what we're afraid of is that this thing that we're finding to be true is going to potentially upset the God upstairs. And so we've got to work hard to keep the narrative the same way because we don't want to upset God. It reminds me of when I was a kid and there was this thing known as RoboCop, a hard R-rated film that was for adults. It is for adults. But yet, because this is America, we had toys and we had video games and it was definitely marketed towards kids on so many levels. And I was one of those kids. And there was something about RoboCop from the very beginning. I knew it was rated R and I knew that my dad would disapprove of anything RoboCop in my life. And so I found myself playing with the toys, watching the shows uh, or watching the movies and playing the video games and all the while working hard to hide it from my parents because I knew that if my dad found out the reality of what I was doing, he was going to be upset. So if RoboCop ever came up or a commercial came on and dad was like, oh, RoboCop, that's not for kids. I'd be like, yeah, dad, totally not for kids. And I would be on his side because I didn't want to upset my father. How many of us have found our lives in this place? If this is what the divine is, some parental power figure that's out there somewhere, we don't want to upset him. And so we've got to be careful not to show a reality of what's really going on. So we've got to deny or pretend that that's not true and that's not right. Otherwise, God's going to be upset. So it comes to science, maybe medicine, Things like psychology. How many times in our own relationships with one another have we tried to deny what's really happening for fear that God would be upset? Or even in our own personal depth and reality. How many of us have struggled to be honest and to name who we really are or what's really going on for fear that God is going to be angry, reject, and reject us? And this is why it's so important, I think, that we sense and understand and know that God is actually the ground of all being. He dwells only in reality. 
And so to interact with the divine or to interact with God is to actually seek out reality, to be fully present, to be fully honest with what's really going on because that's where God is found and to seek and pursue and move towards good, whatever's good, true, and beautiful. And so the question today is, are you somebody that can be honest with what's really going on in your life? the depths of who you are? Are you someone that's working to interact with this present moment and to sense and know there's something deeper, something more here, and to seek out the goodness, truth, and beauty in whatever's happening around you and know that this is our interaction with the divine and it's so, so good. And when it comes to this thing of sexuality, I told you we were going to get there. (laughs) When it comes to this thing of sexuality, Many of us have been handed a narrative of don't go there, don't talk about that because God is going to be mad out there somewhere. He holds all the power, he holds all the keys, and he determines where you go when you die. But if there is a reality here to different sexual orientations, as we talked about last week, and as biology and chemistry and history and so many things continue to point to, there is an honest reality to what's happening with different sexual orientations. Are we, are you willing to be honest about that and work to find what's good and true and beautiful there? Because this God gives life and breath to everything and everyone. He is the ground of all being, and we are invited to be in God, no matter what that reality is and no matter what's going on. So are you someone that can be maybe honest with yourself? Or maybe are you somebody that can have a conversation with somebody of a different sexual orientation or work to discover and truly hear and listen and work to find the divine there. Because my, my thought or my fear is similar to what Paul Tillich said in that quote or what Paul in Athens was communicating, that we spend our lives working to find the divine and it's this idea of a God who's out there somewhere all along the while we miss what is actually real and true, good, beautiful, present here. <clears throat> so as we kind of start to land the plane on this, I just need to say, I want to say a couple things personally about what this has meant for me, this new interaction of what is God. First and foremost, some of you might be thinking and saying, hey, wait a minute, Matt, what about God the judge? Or what about a God of boundaries? Because that's a thing, right? And all I have to say is we're going to be talking about that next week, okay? So we're going to go there. But I wanted to start here about just the idea of what God is first. But personally, what this approach to God is for me. It's meant a couple things. First and foremost, it's meant that God has actually grown in scope. So much of my life and my Christianity has been about trying to to speak of God as bigger, greater, to try and discover the more, the holiness, the sacredness of God, and for that to continue to grow and grow and grow in my life. And this, for me, has been one of the most fundamental and foundational things to see a God that is actually holy, actually giant and to grow in the greatness and significance and beauty of who God is. And to find that many times to identify or to interact with a God who's out there somewhere and I'm trying to get him here is actually shrinking and creating a really small, tiny God, if you will. 
The second thing for me uh, that this has really meant is that the world has become a more beautiful place. Again, for God to be this presence out there somewhere that holds all the keys and holds all the power and determines where I go when I die, it's easy to live in fear of that God and, and getting it wrong. And so when I interact with things that are outside of the norm or things that I'm not comfortable with because I just haven't interacted with it, the tendency many times is to shut it off, to you know try to reject it or have a problem with it or take issue with it, to try to make sure that I don't say the wrong thing, I don't go the wrong places, I don't listen to the wrong music, whatever it is, because I don't want to upset this God. But if God is found as the ground of all being and a reality that's here in this present moment to be in God... It means that I can interact with the world around me, different peoples, different stories, different art and creativity, and I can work to find the good, the true, and the beautiful there. It means I can interact with somebody that comes from a different culture or a different belief system, and rather than trying to put up walls and trying to make sure that my ways are more right than their ways, we can all work towards this God and this presence that is here inviting us now to find this ground of all being. It means that when I interact with somebody from a a different sexual orientation, that I'm invited to embrace them and find this presence, this divine, this depth here and now in this moment. So we close this talk with just a question. What is God for you? Again, I'm just trying to be as authentic as where I am and what and how I came to that process and place. But what is God? Because the way that you choose to interact with the divine drastically impacts the way you choose to interact with yourself and the world around you and this topic of sexuality. Are you somebody that can deep, breathe deep and sense and know whatever your reality is, whatever you're carrying, that you can be present and honest about those things and know that there is this God there that is embracing and that you're not alone. He's for you and with you and inviting you forward into what is good and true and beautiful. That you don't have to hide and you don't have to pretend and you don't have to try and please this thing or being out there, you can simply be here fully and find the beauty, significance, God there. I hope that that would be true for you. And I hope that if there's anything that we can do for you, any conversations or connections that we can make or any ways that we can come through and serve and help you, that you know that this is one of the reasons we exist as a CMYK community. So just reach out and let us know. We would love to be there for you. I hope you have a really, really great week, and we'll be back next week as we continue on in this series.